Welcome back, guys, to APS Amplifier. This is the Pot of Greed. That's right. So today we've got lots of interesting trading card stories. At least I have a few that I think will be intriguing. I've got a couple. Some of the usual suspects and maybe some surprises. So thank you guys again for tuning in. Uh, we appreciate all of you. Yeah, Remember? thanks for hanging in there. We know it's been a, it's been a slog. Yeah, and a long week. Yeah, remember, you can follow the podcast on all your favorite RSS feeds, Apple, yeah. Spotify, I'm Google. So, glad, I was going to say RCA. So let's talk Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, yeah, what's going on let's with Yu-Gi-Oh? Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, uh, another one of these like slower Yu-Gi-Oh news weeks, I feel. That's, that's nothing, true. That's true. Nothing super crazy. Um, I know, um, you know, Duel Links got a new structure deck. I know that's not news news, but they did. Oh, did they? Yeah, they got an Immortal Phoenix gear for each structure deck. Huh. It's a... Uh, oh, wait, so he's in Duel Links? He's now in Duel Links. You know, so what I'm assuming it's like, is a little bit Infernoble, or they go with yeah, more the a Gemini? a little bit of both, honestly. Okay. The um the main thing you get with it is uh, Infernoble Roland. Yeah. Who is kind of like the pseudo-searcher extender of the deck. Mm-hmm. You get that with Immortal Phoenix Gear Free. You get a, cu- a few other cards, but they're not as important. Have you, you like know? played it at all? Gotten to? I haven't played it yet. I just I saw it release. I was like, okay, let me let me build up my gems so I can get the uh, get the deck. But um, I just found it really interesting. It's another boss monster that has a negate effect, something oh. that Duel Links is becoming very familiar with now. Yeah, that's the thing. I, it's kind of funny. I remember back when Duel Links used to sort of be this meme, almost of like you know, you go on training wheels or um, like people would kind of. Whenever there's like a deck builder set and had like mm-hmm. bad archetypes or whatever, people would be like, oh, that archetype is like a dual links archetype, or they just made it to throw into dual links. I think I remember Konami kind of maybe coming, I don't think they said this, but like I feel like someone maybe said like Konami doesn't really design archetypes for dual links, but I think people saw it that way. It's funny because like now I feel like dual links is actually, I mean, it, it clo- pretty closely resembles the. The physical game in the sense that, like, going first is super strong. It boards is. are pretty big. You know, it's it's not, like, just the fun, you know, like, silly, you know, slow mm-hmm. duels anime thing. Because so. even, uh, what was that, two years ago when I was playing often for, like, streams and whatnot, going second was so strong. Going second, because you could just break, you could break any board at the time. Yeah, now, not as much the case. Meet with Orcus and Pendulums, setting up negates, multiple interactions. It's very difficult to go second in Duel Links now. You need to have monster negations. It's like spe- oh, speed roids, another one that packs negations. Yeah, like the deck is what the the game is wild right now. And Phoenix Gearfried, while maybe a year ago would have been kind of strong, now, now it's like kind of. Another thing. It's just another thing. It's, it's kind of it's middle of the it's strong, but middle in the middle of the road. It's not gonna like be their new meta thing. Okay, so here's some master duel stuff before we get into the TCG stuff. Um, so master duel, I've been playing with the new update. So there's like a new ban list. Mm-hmm. There's um the new like pack conquest of some you know they give these names. I built Spriggins. Cl- climax of showdown or something. It's I don't know what very the name generic is. sounding, but. Yeah, so it basically the big part of the set is that it introduces bestials. A few of them are limited out the gate, but it also kind of finishes up a lot more of the Albaz like archetypes. Oh, I'm so happy. Um, Spriggan's cards, Dogmatica cards. Dogmatica is the one that I've actually been playing the most with. Did the not Dogmatica see that ritual coming. deck. I love. I've been really loving it. 
I knew it was for me. You know how I knew it was for me? Oh. Uh, when the pack came out, I was like, okay, let me log on and like buy the stuff. I'm going to build the Dogmatica Ritual deck. I knew it was for me, though, when like the first set of like 10 packs or 10 spin or whatever that I got mm-hmm. was a Royal Finish Albazoa. And I was like, wow. yep, okay. And it's also the same band list that they put like Nadir Servant to two. And so then I like I got my packs and then I went to craft my second Nadir Servant, mm-hmm. Royal Finish. I have a Royal Finish Nadir <sighs> Servant, a Royal Finish Albazoa. This is my deck, man. Like this is this is this is me. Wow. Also look, look, look what he'll do. Um Bistials are kind of a terror. They're they're a nightmare. But they're already pre limited. Didn't help much. <laughs> Didn't help much. It, it's fun though because like seeing all the different branded decks like just all kind of really popular in the metagame. Like obviously like the Bistial like tier kind of sprite. Like all that stuff still trends more towards the top. Mm-hmm. But you still do see a little bit of everything. And so that's been kind of nice. And uh have you built or played any of it? Yeah, uh so I haven't played yet. I got home today and uh so, oh, let me uh, let me build my Spriggins deck, or what I call Albaz and Friends. Mm-hmm. I just have the I've, I've I do love playing Spriggins, but ever since I found out that you could use uh, Spriggins kit to mix in more some of the branded support to get access to branded fusion, I've been obsessed with with this idea of having Albaz and Friends. So the deck runs Albaz, Ecclesia, and Kit in a Spriggins deck. Yeah, it's not the most cohesive thing, but it's my thing. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think it's cool that all of them are, like, kind of at their peak now, pretty much. Like, there's, like, I guess a couple of cards that they're still missing. But. Are Tribrigade at their peak? I've heard no one say a word about that deck. Or it, I mean, even it technically can use some of the new stuff, though not maybe as readily. Like, I've, I've heard no one speak on Tribrigade. Uh, I was also going to say another thing, too, is the Bandless hit tier elements and... Um, <laughs> Mm, they're still probably the best deck, like from my experience and kind of grinding the ladder. But nowadays, because they, it didn't hit the tier cards. It hit like the Ashizu cards, hit terraforming, kind of right. hit around the tier things. And it's definitely like a little less consistent in that way. Like they don't get consistent mills. So they've been combining it with like kind of the branded Despia Bestial oh. kind of mix. It can, yeah. in some cases, be even more of a nightmare to play against. But, um, I mean, I wouldn't worry. Uh, Cashier yeah. is coming, so. Yeah, Cashier will probably be around soon, and they weren't going to hit the tier elements cards because, like, it's still, I think, in the rotation of its new pack or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, Oh, we so might actually bit. get a chance to see that Cashier tier elements deck they used in Japan. In the TCG, we didn't really see it happen because right. of the ban list, but maybe we'll see it in Macedon. Yeah, and also they're doing the GX uh, kind of anime-themed little event is happening. There might be something people like. The new set did add like armor Neos and uh, wake Love up arm Neos and wake up your elemental hero. So people, uh, people don't use that, right? It can be kind of fun, sort of a battle phase win more card. But That's half the fun. archetype. So, oh, okay. And here's another interesting thing that Master Duel added. So two super useful features. The first one is there's now a check mark beside effects when they've been used that turn. So, oh. yeah, so, you know, like, so many effects are, like, hard ones per turn. Mm-hmm. But so many Yu-Gi-Oh cards have, like, two or three effects. And some of them can be a little long. Well, like, Master Duel already adds some really nice quality of life things. Like, it, like, you know, brightens up the effect that's being used and the rest are, like, darkened out. Yeah, I like that. But now they added, like, a check mark so you can keep track of, like, what's been activated this turn. Mm-hmm. Which matters a lot, I think. I mean, in the general complexity of the game is higher now. But, like, when you're facing stuff like TR elements where, like, 
each of the three main deck girls can like fuse and it's like hard to keep track of like, okay who's fuse who's done like this thing who's done this special summon effect and so it just when a lot's happening having that check mark is huge right and then also right. in replays um when you like rewatch a replay of your match when a card gets played for the first time in the replay it'll actually show you its usage percentage among all players and its mm. win percentage, which is like a really weird change. I got I don't know why this is only really in replays. Yeah, like you don't see it in game because, like I said, it'd be kind of distracting. Yes. But like, if I rewatch a rewatch a replay, it'll show like, okay, um, TR elements have this usage percentage forty seven percent, and like win percentage fifty six percent or something. Uh, I will say that it's probably useful when you're analyzing games for like strategy and like research purposes. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe that's why they put it in. You know, you can see what people are playing and what percentage, like, is this like, is this really a spicy tech? Like, is this tech any good? Who's, like, how, what's it been winning at, you know? Right, yeah. So, I mean, I think when you look at it that way, there there probably is something to be said there. Um, I just thought it was kind of fun, especially, I think it's it feels more gratifying when you're playing a deck. Like, mm-hmm. I was watching some Dogmatica replays of mine, and, like, all the Dogmatica cards' usage rate is, like, 0.001%, like or something. <laughs> like, barely anybody plays half these cards. But wow. then, like, you're playing against these tier decks, and it's all, like, usage rates, like, 50%. Win rates, like, 60%. Like, it's very, you know. So, it, that's kind of just a funny, it's it's fun thing. And, like, Maxi and Ash Blossom are obviously, like, like at 70, 80% usage. I wonder if that's the highest. I wonder what's the card with the highest win rate in the game. Highest usage percentage is probably Maxi or Ash. Highest win rate? I don't know because it's like if everyone's playing a card, then its win rate can actually only be around like 50%, Mm -hmm. right? Like at least that's the vibe I would get. So I don't know. That's interesting. I wonder if they would like just publish just a list of just the most used and most won and like, because this is more, it's basically more insight into what they probably see as they are balancing like ban lists and stuff. Right. Right. I'm sure those are the statistics they look at when they're making these, these very minute changes to the, to the card pool. It actually makes me think that, like you said, this could be help. This could help players with like deck building and prep, but also it can maybe offer more understanding when like a ban list happens and like mm-hmm. certain stuff moves, people can be like, Oh, okay. Like I, I think I kind of get more where they were coming from. So I know there was always a theory, at least in the dual links community that people, they, they look at the uh, win percentages of different cards index. And that's what fueled their predictions for what would be hit in the ban list. Mm-hmm. Something that we can't really do in the TCG because such things don't exist. Yeah. So um, that's the master duel thing. Anything else? I don't think anything else has really happened with it. In the in master duel, no. That's all I got. At. Okay, got a little bit of TCG news. There's oh. a big announcement like last week that at the Yu-Gi-Oh Nationals they're going to be holding an Edison format, you know, Time Wizard tournament, oh. um, as a, an actual Swiss event, like basically an alternative to the main event. They're not calling it Edison, though, are they? They're not calling it Edison. So okay. it's called, like, the Time Wizard format, but it is, you know, the the month, which I think, is it, like, March or May 2010 or whatever month it is, but YCS Edison format. Um, it's interesting to hear Edison get there before GOAT, but I've heard so much interest in the Edison format in the last year. Yeah, so what I think has been happening is, or at least this is the sentiment I've heard, and people can sort of inform me if I'm wrong, is that goat was the fun one at first, but it got it gets solved too easily. Mm-hmm. Like 
the card pool for goat is a little bit smaller and like the best deck is a little more established or the best builds and stuff of it. Whereas Edison, it's like 2010. So the, the card pool is significantly larger. There's far more diversity because you get like your black wings, your light swords, your zombies, your glads, your like kind of flamvel synchro. So cat many decks. Stuff. Edison. A lot more. Um, there's a lot more variety in what you can play, and also it still sl- more slightly resembles modern Yu-Gi-Oh in that like these are still archetypes mm-hmm. as opposed to goat, which is like not. And so if you're kind of more into being able to play an archetype and stuff, it kind of has that element to it as well. Right. So, so they're doing it as a main event and. I think that's, like, awesome. Yeah, that's actually kind of dope. Though I wonder how scheduling that would work. I was confused because it said, I think, that it's on Saturday. Like, because, you know, like, nationals are, like, most YCS events and stuff. It's, like, this is July 7th, 8th, 9th. And so day one of, like, day zero, I guess, has, like, you know, late qualifiers and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and pre-registration. Day one is, like, the big Swiss round of Nats. And then day two is, like, you know, the finals cutoff. But I think that this thing is on the Saturday, so I feel like I guess if you're a player, you have to make a choice, and that that feels kind of un. Though for some players, I feel like it might depending on what the prize is, it might not be a choice at all. That's true. Given I, the way I've heard people running side events lately, yeah, the side events prizing tends to be like better than main deck or main main deck main event prizing for a lot of like YCSs and stuff. Like I feel like since like 2020. Players, like lots of players, have been just on side event grind. Yeah. Like they, they don't care to enter into the YCS. They don't care to even enter into Nats. They're there for the side events to rack up those little tickets yep. and turn them into mats, turn them into sheets, turn them into I know cards. Some people like offer to buy the tickets. Boy, they was buying. The last Nats we went to, they was buying them tickets. Yeah, people just go around and like they're trying to like, like how much you know to buy for your ticket. But I think that there is something to be said about the fact that tickets are like easily to like more easily accumulated. Because mm-hmm. like you can enter a lot of side events in one day. You can grind win a match. You can grind the little battle city thing. The and like those the prizes in some cases are cooler. Like those uncut sheets of like yep. starlights, the giant and oversized cards. Which by the way, if anybody has oversized cards for sale, hit me up. I'm gonna fleece you. They yeah. say, "Oh, you're a YouTuber." Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I can pay modest amounts. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know. I'm looking for like all the like kind of more retroy cards. And I like, like there's like a Blue Eyes Ultimate Dragon that I want. Mm-hmm. I think there's like a Book of Moon. There's a Gate Guardian from Speed Duel, among other things. But yeah, like the prizing it'll be interesting to see like how this works. I know I was talking to one of my judge friends, and uh, he was saying how at, Flex. at the yeah, I you know I just know judges. Um, he was saying how at YCS the one in California was it San Diego or YCS Pasadena the 250th YCS. Um, that they ran like a load of flights of Edison Time Wizard. So I think that probably informed mm. this decision because they saw it was so popular, like over 100 of them. Like players are really like interested in this. So I've been collecting cards for an Edison deck for a while. Every time I see a, a card that's, re- that's relevant in the Edison format, I just grab it and set it, set it to the side. Yeah. What's funny is I think Edison was around the time when I was probably at my arguably most competitive like kind of relationship with Yu-Gi-Oh. That was a time where I was like really like just grinding, you know, just different deck builds, always wanting to go to events, always like wanting to just play and experience every matchup and think about every card. And so maybe I should try Edison. I haven't actually played it like as a... I was casual during that format, like very, very casual. Yeah, so 
just a cool thing, I guess, for, for you guys are going to the Yu-Gi-Oh! Nationals this year in Raleigh, North Carolina. You can go you, and do that. You can go Edison it up. You might spot some of us there. You might not. Who knows? Haven't decided yet. We'll see. Um. So, yeah. Any other Yu-Gi-Oh! stuff you've heard? I got nothing. Okay. I've got one last thing. Oh, my gosh. Uh, first Four Figures announced a Red Eyes figure that they're making. And it looks so I don't, cool. I don't know if I've seen that. You probably haven't. It only got like posted yesterday. Oh. On their Twitter. I will maybe edit it, put it on screen. Hold up, let me see real quick if I can find it. I haven't seen this, guys. This Yo, is fill, uh, here, this fill is in new to fill me. in air for me. All right, guys. So I'll now sing you a song from of my people uh from when I was very young. Um Have you <laughs> bought any other any first four figures things before? I know that no. they tend to be no, I've never I've never purchased a first four figure. But that's only because they haven't made one of a monster I care about. Because what they've done, Blue Eyes and Dark Magician. Yeah, and Dark Magician Girl. And Dark Magician Girl. Yeah, I don't care about those. Those aren't those aren't interesting to me. What is interesting is red eyes. So depending yeah. on how this looks, I can be persuaded. Okay. Uh so here it is, just real quick. They also oh, that's cool. So for those of you guys who are audio listeners, it's um Basically, yeah, they have the Red Eyes Black Dragon in the Deluxe Edition. The lava underneath him actually, like, lights up. It's kind of like sort of an LED mode. It can be static or it can be animated. That's like a breathing lighting effect. And that I believe sick. they're also doing a black and a purple version of it, which oh, is... Purple. Well, so I was thinking about that, and actually, purple Ooh, is how right? he looks more so in, like, the anime kind of draws him, like, yeah. purple. And they did the same thing with Blue Eyes White Dragon, where there's, like, kind of the more silvery look that he gets mm-hmm. in some renditions and then the more white dragon look from the anime. I think even the uh, Rush Duel Red Eyes artwork is kind of purpley, if I remember correctly. So I've noticed they've been doing that with all of them because so Blue Eyes got that, Red Eyes is getting this, but also Dark Magician, there's the like do you sick want the, one. Yeah, the sick like green skin kind of different like bluish armor rather than purple armor. And then with Dark Magician Girl, hers is a little weird. They did... um pastel color scheme versus like contrasty saturated color scheme huh. is that uh, is that a thing for dark magician girl I don't even not know. really i think that was just them kind of finding to find something to multiple diversify. versions to make but so i'm gonna be pre-ordering this red eyes it goes up for pre-order in a few days like six or seven days from now and um definitely check it out if you're like a Yu-Gi-Oh figure person i know that not a lot of people necessarily are but yeah, those first four figures are huge. Yeah, they're big and they are expensive, so like fair warning. But if you're a like Yugi nerd like me, like they already they can have burn my some money, cash. like yeah, I, I yeah. So, um, I think that's everything Yu-Gi-Oh that I've got. Anything you've seen? As I told you three times now, just hey, just making no sure. Huge. I've got no more Yu-Gi-Oh stories. Kind of a slow. From at least a slow Yu-Gi-Oh day for me, but I do have news about other TCGs. All right, let's get it started. So it wouldn't be an APS amplifier pod without talking about <clears throat> Magic: The Gathering. Oh, what? Okay, good or bad news? So this is an update to the the One Ring bounty oh, situation. Okay. Let's hear this. I'm actually I'm kind of curious. Like so now. Gremio de Dragones, or Guild of Dragons, is a game store offering over $2 million and more for the One Ring, One of One card. Okay. What is and more? You'll see in a moment. 
So they initially offered a million. Well, they doubled it because there's so much competition to get this car. They also upped the ante by adding a trip, stay, and food. What? So a trip to Spain and with a trip to Spain. Okay. Lodging and food. So they're based in Spain, I guess? Yes. This is a Spanish uh, So they game fly store. you out, and I guess you get to... Because I guess... Hmm. You get to okay. make a full trip of it on their dime. Pretty damn Plus cool. Plus the $2 million. Pretty damn cool. That's not bad. Yeah. Uh, Actually, let's see. They, there, was a, there was a conversion. So I think it would... It's, it's $2,159,950. Okay, I have a question because I'm woefully uninformed is that lord of the rings set out yet or no 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 it's not out yet so it's not out yet so this has all been i think june 20th i don't want to be wrong but i could be wrong so sometime like this month so uh so they're really hyping it up huh oh yeah like this is all like build up hype like these are offers that have been made before the set has like even come out Mm because i guess that there's just everybody knows that when this comes out the amount of purchases like people are just like tearing up in cases and cases. It'll be nuts. It makes me wonder though. Well, sorry, what were you gonna say? I was like, I think I even saw a picture of someone op- like allegedly opening up packs early, but I couldn't confirm it. That's so I didn't probably, bring it up. Yeah. Well, so something that I kind of wondered about with that is um, <sighs> some suspicions I've read that people have is like, do you think that Wizards of the Coast will like seed the some people suspect that they'll see it in in the like a box of an influencer or like a YouTuber. Ooh, the, uh, I I don't think that they would do that. That doesn't. I would definitely hope they don't do that. Although they feel like I guess that might be for like the publicity and like because if I get if a Logan Paul type right like pulls it, then that's a bigger moment for them. Mm-hmm. But I actually the thing that so that's like one theory. What do you think of that? Do you think there's any weight to that? I don't think there is because that would hurt the credibility of what they've done here. Whatever they do going forward, they are going to try and protect the credibility of them having randomly shipped out this one-of-one card. We have to believe it because if we don't believe it, it all falls apart. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Now, the second thing that I've heard people say is that they – what if, like, they kind of seed it in a later run of the packs? Because, like, so let's, I'm, I don't know the exact date, but just for sake of example, I'm going to say this comes out on June 20th, right? Okay. The shipments that come to the, that go out to stores and distributors and all that stuff in the first wave just don't have the card. But they'll all still get bought because so, we don't know. And then, so, like, let's say the next week's wave also doesn't. And then maybe in the hmm. third or fourth wave it does. And so pe- there's, like, I guess some concerns that people have around, like, the fact that I guess they can leverage the hype and the promise to literally know that the card has not been put even in circulation yet, but you still buy it because there's a chance and you don't know. It is in their best interest to withhold that card for as long as they can. Right. I think, and that's what people are kind of theorizing about it. Because if it gets opened up in like very early into its lifespan, you do miss out on, a certain number of sales that would have been made purely for the effort of pulling it. Yeah. I guess the thing is like, once it's known that this card has been pulled, I guess there's going to be a significant fall off in, in the interest again, of sales. Don't you think the people who everyone who's going to spend millions 
millions of dollars trying to pull this card. Don't you think they'll do that initially, like out the gate? Mm-hmm. And if the card isn't pulled in the first wave of product and a second wave comes out, do you think those same sharks would be willing to then invest another ungodly amount of money into buying up all that product too? I don't know. I I mean, because I just always thought that like once the card is pulled, that's just the end of everybody's chase. It is. But something that I did think about though is that these card shops that have been offering this amounts where it's like, okay, the card where Dave and Adam's card world offered like a million or whatever last week. Mm-hmm. And like now this like shop in Spain is offering 2 million. I'm sure there's like plenty of others, I guess to offer a lot of that, like that money makes sense because they're going to be the beneficiaries of the increased sales of the boxes themselves. Right. I don't know exactly what the margins for the card shop on a box sold is, but like, let's say that a card shop maybe makes like $30 per box sold. And like people are going to be buying this thing like hotcakes so maybe, I mean, they just kind of are assuming that the amount they'll sell and the pre-orders and everything will far eclipse or at least, you know, even out the $1 million or $2 million or whatever they offer. So I feel that any card shop that makes a million dollars off of any one product sales in any card game... Mm-hmm. Needs to be investigated by the uh, like Federal Trade Commission. Um, <laughs> no, y- y'all the margins. Feasible. I don't know. Like the, the, that's not even. I, I don't think that's believable. Like making yeah. a million dollars on a set. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think, think anyone can do that. Even this, because like, you wouldn't have the. I feel would you even have like the stock of the product? I doubt it. I bet. I bet there's actually a severe. There's a there's a hard limit to how much a shop can even can get. Purchase. I wonder what that limit is like i wonder how much like wizard like do you think there's gonna be a thing where like wizards literally can't like print enough could, could be. be like because i mean like that happened with like pokemon a lot like you just you can't find it on the shelves because like there's this weird thing where i know that like magic cards are not pokemon where like you know little kids go to buy them all the time but still it makes me think like well a situation where like they're they aren't on the shelves maybe kind of looks in some ways bad for pr I mean, then good people might bad. bring up the fact that uh, Wizards releases so many products that they'll mm. always be product on the shelf. They don't stop releasing it. Yeah, that's true. And I, I will say, I think I have not heard of, in my personal experience of like Magic having product shortages. It seems like every time I go to Walmart or Target, and they're, they're, our car, cho- our car shop, our, our local yep. one is filled with it. Like usually, the only thing that there's more than Magic cards of is, of course, Pokemon. When you go to Target, Pokemon's like Pokemon's like. 50 to 60% of the shelf. Magic's like 30%, and then like the rest is anything else. There's a Yu Gi Oh pack. There's like a Yu Gi Oh pack, and then like one random My Hero pack. Yeah, you might see a little, little bit of Digimon, Digimon here and there. I, I've, I still haven't seen a One Piece pack, but I'm sure that I'm sure it exists. I think I maybe saw a structure deck of that. Like, yeah. I, don't, I haven't seen any Battle Star decks. I just haven't seen any. Well, in the speaking of Magic the Gathering, what you um, there is just a hair more. So. Um, this is like a small controversy. It's nothing major, but um, they introduced the one hundred thousand dollar limited open at MagicCon Las Vegas. So MagicCon is a convention, I yeah. guess, that they hold throughout the year. It's like know. our Yugi Con. Oh wait, we don't get one. We need a Yugi Con. Come on, Konami. Come on, Konami. You know what's the worst part about the Yugi Con thing? Sorry to distract from the story, <laughs> but like, 
Konami not only would not allow a Yugi, like they won't do a Yugi Con, but they won't allow a Yugi Con. Yeah, like I know true. that if, if a place were to try to like do like a dedicated kind of Yu-Gi-Oh convention, oh, you know, Konami would step it right would in be and shut right be right like, down. nope. So and like understandably, right? Like I, I get that. Yeah, protect but, the IP, but at it's all like, costs. well, then do it yourselves. Like let's have. Nah, they would never. It's a, it reminds me of they, like they might do it in the UK. Like I'm tangenting a little bit here, but like it kind of reminds me of you know the story about how like Super Zalao or Zolo or whatever was doing. Oh the, yeah. The three, like, you know, the cards come out of the, yeah, the, holo- the, the hologram thing. And, stuff. and, like, it got shut down, presumably, by Konami. It's like, if you're going to shut stuff like that down, then also, like, do it yourself, you know? So, it's like, if you're not going to, like, if no one else can do a Yu-Gi-Con, it'd be cool if Konami did, like, a Yu-Gi-Con. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, well. This story is that uh, the Las Vegas $100,000 Limited Open is a new, massive, competitive event with a prize pool of, yes, $100,000 as well as at least eight invites to the first Pro Tour of 2024. So, um, yeah, this I didn't think was, like, a big deal. I think Magic's had, like, kind of big That sounds like a big to me. Things like that. But the entry fee for the tournament is $160. And that's what people... So I've seen, like, <laughs> some people on Twitter who are not too pleased with this. Um, and participants also must have a Friday, Saturday Magic Con Las Vegas badge. So this is like 160 in addition to whatever the badge costs, which don't know exactly how much that is, but so that sounds, yeah, 160 to enter a tournament. Your prizing better be fire for 160. Yeah, that's what I was kind of wondering about is like, uh, what is the prize payout and like all that look like? I want a trophy. Um, 160. I want a trophy. I literally want a participation trophy. For 160, yeah, I do. I want one. So I'm pulling up the exact prize payout because I was kind of curious, like, what are how are they, how are they kind of like justifying this? I guess. Oh, and also, so a weekend badge is sixty five dollars. So I think you have to have a weekend badge first and foremost, which that's fine. That's not a surprise. But I want to. I'm trying to find out like how much the. Well, anyways, the maximum entrance are two thousand players, and first place will get twenty thousand dollars. So. Because I guess like the hundred thousand dollars probably like breaks down among yeah. like top four, top eight, that sort of thing. But yeah, I saw people who like weren't super happy with this just because they feel like it's so much to enter for a tournament. That's a lot, but I guess that said though, well, what are you thinking? But if you're willing to pay it though, well, I mean, someone is. Some people aren't. I guess some people aren't. But I, and that will always be the case with tournaments, right? Yeah. And this tournament does have a bigger payout than other like tournaments that are cheaper to enter right yeah so so you don't think it's like a huge in a weird way yeah i don't think it's that bad i guess there's this so it's one of these things that's made me well i have two thoughts the first one is i this is magic con vegas and at first i didn't think that was a big deal but i remember las vegas i know that like renting out venues and stuff there is must be astronomically expensive because oftentimes when you rent those venues, your own like you probably already pay like you know, for something of this size, like you're paying per square foot, and I don't know how many square feet this you know that they've rented out, but like it's probably a lot. So that might that right there might already be a few hundred thousand bucks, mm-hmm. and then like also you're usually paying for that, and then you have to also pay for the security there. You have to usually pay a plan for the internet that for that whole weekend, mm-hmm. like you know having to pay for like the staff and everything like that. 
tables, chairs, all that stuff. Ladders. You've got the ladders. And, tables, ladders, and chairs. And um, so, like, and that's all before, like, your events logistics that you have to, like, kind of account for and right. pay for. So, th- looking at it that way, I mean, I think that ha- the fact that there's events in Vegas where those sorts of prices are going to be heavily inflated ag- again, they might be, like, you know, it might be causing them one... Like a million, two million dollars to put the whole I mean, event on. Everything in Vegas is much more expensive, so I guess I, you shouldn't be too surprised. So yeah, I guess I'm not too shocked to hear it, but still though, it is just I guess people maybe I don't know how much this was like at previous events or last year. And just to be clear, guys, we are not Magic players. We're not associated yeah. with the culture really. So um, yeah, you know, this might burn more if you're a regular Magic like tournament goer and it did make me want to ask you though um this prizing structure and all that like you know Yu-Gi-Oh players always want cash prizes and that's something that people have said for like the last just decade or two mm-hmm. like Yu-Gi-Oh should give cash prizes and it seems like Yu-Gi-Oh doesn't that's just not a thing that they do there's rumors that like Kazuki Takahashi wouldn't allow it or it's like a Japanese culture thing I don't know what the exact you know reasoning is do you think you'd like Yu-Gi-Oh with cash prizes like this no. you think no Mm-mm. let's hear it why Cause I'm not good at the game. I need my participation prizes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd be lucky to top. I'd be I'd be very fortunate to ever top an event. And um, cash prizes mean there's less prizes to trickle down to the losers like me. Like, I, I need I need yeah. my participation packs. I want my participation mat. You know. Yeah, no. I <laughs> give me some products so I can feel good about myself. I used to be in the camp where I was like, okay. Give us cash prizes, Konami. Like, make it worth it. If we win these tournaments, we deserve it. But then I realized, I think it's actually for the best. And not everybody agrees with this, but I think it's for the best that there is more of a focus on entry prizing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got into this sort of rabbit hole of, like, there are plenty of things I can criticize Konami for. I think there's a lot that they do that I just don't agree with with this game and, like, how they run it and all that stuff. That applies. You know, plenty of players can say that. One thing Konami does surprisingly well, though, is they run a like a tight ship with tournaments. They really do. And it doesn't get a lot of credit because like people go to tournaments and think like, oh, this judge misruled something against me or like I scrubbed out or whatever. Well, it's because we were supposed to hate Konami. But something yeah, but but something that you don't often consider is like I've gone to other card games. I won't like name names, but just other card games will like regional and regional equivalent events. And like a lot of those events, like judges are not like in any way marked. Like, you know, at Yu-Gi-Oh events, judges have to wear black. They were yeah. all black and, like, the judge shirt and everything. So you know who is a judge at all times, down to the black shoes. You have to wear, like, all of it. And at first, I guess I didn't think too much of it. But I actually think it's, like, a really big deal for judges to be easily distinguished. Right. In a, a highly competitive event, you would want your judge... You want to know that a judge is a judge. And you know they can, like, trust the ruling. And I've seen other card game events where, like, people judging, even sometimes, like, the head judges of some events are wearing, like, T-shirt and jeans. And sandals. And, like, flip-flops or something. It's like, you could just kind of know, like, there's kind of a professionality there. And then also, um, the fact that you can actually just walk into a regional or YCS event for free and just spectate. Ah, the good old days. Because there are some events where that's not the case. Not Yu-Gi-Oh events, but, like, other card game things I've gone to where, like, I went to a One Piece Treasure Cup, and they were charging... People to like just spectators. Like how much you pay? Thirty bucks. It was what they were at charging. the door. Yeah, like if you wanted to to go inside and just oh, hang but then out. you got to play. 
No. Like, if you were playing, you didn't pay that, but you still paid your entry to play. If you weren't playing, you paid $30. We run in tournaments on a poverty level. That's yeah, so I don't know if that's, like, since changed. And, like, you know, no shots to them. Like, I'm not... It's just, that literally was how it was. Like, that was... And I was yeah, just like... He's throwing shade, but he's not throwing shade, yeah. It was just kind of weird. And I guess I was like, man, at a Yu-Gi-Oh event, like, you can just go into YCS and kind of just hang out. Even if you don't want to play in the main I've event. I've done that many times. You know, you can play in side events. You can just trade. You can, like, do whatever. And I think that that's something that other card games don't always seem to nail quite so well, so. Then again, but Yu-Gi-Oh also has, like, plenty of side events where even if um, you're not playing in a main event, you can enter a side event, which you will pay money to enter, so they get it out you at some point. They get out you at some point, but, like, at least the side event is giving you something. Yeah. The spectator thing, I mean, you're just getting to hang out. And another thing, too, is, like, other card game tournaments, and they don't always have, the, I guess, the community size for this, but a lot of places don't even host like side events. Yeah. Like it's just it's the I've main event or bust, that. and there's nothing else to do if you like drop. So but anyways, yeah, for this Magic the Gathering thing, uh I don't know what people are comparing this entry pricing to, so I'm not gonna make any like strong comment on whether or not it's good or bad. But I will say that I think that the fact that it's in Vegas probably speaks to a lot of that entry fee. I'm, so. I'm not paying that much for anybody's tournament. But hey, yeah, I, I, to you each won't, their own. I won't be there playing. <laughs> <laughs> to each their own. Yeah, but, you know, I, Magic fans, players in the comments, please let us know. Is that Speaking of uh, p- uh, people needing to get, in, to get their own, I have an update on the uh, Lorcana lawsuit situation. Oh, the Upper Deck Lorcana lawsuit. We have some more. We have now have some information. To go okay, let's hear it. I want the beats. I want the tea. So, recently, it was reported that Ravensburger was being sued for allegedly stealing the design of Upper Deck's upcoming TCG called Rush of Ecor. Never heard of it. According, oh, okay. according to the complaint reported by Games Radar, Upper Deck accused Ravens, Ravensburger of repackaging and remarketing Rush of Ecor as Disney Lorcana, noting that both TCG's rules were nearly identical. It also accused Ravensburger designer Ryan Miller, who was a former Upper Deck employee and had allegedly worked on Rush of Ecor, of using the information he had to help develop Orcana. So Upper Deck said it's seeking damages from Ravensburger and prohibiting it from launching Disney Orcana. So... So that's so I guess that's like more details on the thing. Mm-hmm. So we Ravensburg North America Senior Communications Director Lisa Kruger said in a statement sent to Games Radar that the company stands behind its team's integrity and the originality of its projects or products. She added that Upper Deck's lawsuit was entirely without merit and that Ravensburger planned to prove its innocence in due time. For now, it's still focused on its launch of Disney Arcana, the first chapter on August 18th. <sighs> Thoughts? So, man, it sounds like they did it. it you, so you think that they copied these rules? Like, because before we didn't know that there was a name to this mysterious game that Upper Deck said was being, like, ripped off. Mm-hmm. I feel that Upper Deck wouldn't be doing all this brouhaha if they didn't have a legitimate case. I mean, come on, man. This is Ravensburger backed by Disney. I don't think you do this unless you know. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I don't, like I said last week, I don't think that I have, like, a dog in the fight. But, I mean, I guess I was, maybe I'm rooting for Lorcana. Like, I, I don't, but my, my opinion, like, 
I'm uninformed. Like, if they really did steal this game, like, We're idea all and concept. Yeah. Like, if they really did steal this, then I guess that's going to come out in court. And, like, they'll yeah. either rule in favor or whatever. But, yeah. I, I would like to see what this, what is the game called? The 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 so-called original? Uh, Rush of Ecor. Okay. Never like, heard of that. I've never heard of it. Have but they I announced guess, it? Or is I don't it something they where they did. haven't even announced it? But they were just... I don't think it was. I don't think it was announced, but um, allegedly, its gameplay is similar enough to Hurricane, where Upper Deck thinks it has, a, it has a lawsuit. I'm so curious to what they think is nearly identical. Was because that's their wording. They said they're nearly you know, identical. I want to see the rules to Rush of Ecor and see how nearly identical it is. I mean, I believe that it could be. Something that's interesting, though, about that is, like, so many trading card games are fairly derivative of each other in terms of rule mm-hmm. sets, where a lot of people, kind of as a half-joke, half-serious thing, compare mini card games to, like, Magic, right? It's like the granddaddy. Because like, Magic kind of did it first, and so many card games follow the, like, energy system, land system, like, that sort of, like, some sort of a resource-based system. So... You know, does that, how far do, do you have to deviate a trading card game for it to be considered, like, not a complete ripoff of Magic to where Wizards could sue you and just say your card game is a so, one-to-one copy? weirdly enough, Yu-Gi-Oh! is actually derivative of Magic the Gathering. Not many people would know or think that it is, but it was. When Kazuki Takahashi came up with the idea, he was interested in Magic the Gathering. and. Yeah. Now, Kazuki Takahashi wasn't really a game designer, so when it came to actually creating Yu-Gi-Oh! and everyone that got involved doing that, the game plays completely different from so Magic. I think it's I think Yu-Gi-Oh! is at least it's you know, as roots was heavily inspired by Magic. I think mm-hmm. in, in terms of like aesthetic and feel, there's so much of it there. But gameplay gameplay wise, it's kinda of funny. I've always felt that Yu-Gi-Oh! of all trading card games is actually probably the most straight up unique yeah it's distinct it's very it's got the tempo is so much faster it's actually the only game not only game but one of the few games without any sort of a resource system you see a card you can play it all right like you and your cards can go only in the most caveman of caveman days of Yu-Gi-Oh! check out our series where hundreds if you want to see that did we actually have to Kind of play a resource game and play slowly. Yeah, you get a sense changed a but, lot from that. And even then, it was it's hard to say that game was similar to Magic. And then yep. still, at some point, they said, "Yo, these cards, we don't want these cards called Magic cards." They yeah. were still like, "We got to separate Which, from that." There. I mean, I think I guess because that was still so early in the Yu-Gi-Oh days, they probably wanted to nip that in the bud fast before like the associations could maybe. Because, I mean, yeah. nowadays, like, if you if, if you take someone who's introduced to Yu-Gi-Oh!, like, let's say the, like, Vrains era or even the Zexo era, I don't even think they could... No one even call it a magic card at all. Yeah, like, they, they wouldn't even remember they that. They wouldn't know to call it a magic card. They wouldn't even think to say Yu-Gi-Oh! was inspired by Magic the Gathering because there's just no similarity. Like, thinking about each card game, I guess Pokemon's distinguished pretty well from Magic in that while it does have the resource system... The way that it handles life, like through prize cards, is totally different. The right? life is different, but he, but their resource is so different from lands and how they use them. Yeah, because the, you also there's like the bench and the active, mm-hmm. which I've the seen other card active. games. It you know is a distinct card game. I would call it. I feel like this might be ignorant. I don't know. 
I feel like board games feel almost a little more similar to Pokemon than they do to Magic sometimes. Which games are you talking about? Like, I think of, like, Vanguard, where, like, you've got the Vanguard guy, and, uh, mm-hmm. and like, it's kind of on your front line, but then you've got, like, kind of units and stuff in the mid row and back row. Am I looking... Am, so, yeah, in Vanguard, you have your front line, which is your Vanguard, and then he has two rear guards next to him, or him, her, they, it, whatever. And then there's a back line behind them that just support the front line. Right. In a weird way, that is similar to a bench, because those, uh, those creatures can't be interacted with easily. They can be, but not easily. Can they do anything to influence the game? They can specifically boost up the attack power of the creature directly in front of them. It almost feels like, in a vague way, it's like Pokemon with a bit of Yu-Gi-Oh in there. It's like, like the back row. But I know in the Pokemon bench, as far as my understanding, and it's only rudimentary, that you they can't get effects in the bench. They can't do anything. Yeah. Where would you say Digimon falls? So Pokemon's bench is very similar to the Digimon um, like breeding or raising area, where you hatch your Digi egg, and you can even you can grow a Digimon in that area. Its effects can't activate. No effects can affect it. And you can just build up your next Digimon for making a play. Now, you can play Digimon into the main area. So that feels kind of like a bench. It reminds me of a bench, but you can only have one Digimon there. It reminds me, however vaguely, of like the extra deck in Yu-Gi-Oh! In a vague way. Like, because it kind of, it comes out of that spot. Like, it's totally safe while it's in there. Although I guess in Yu-Gi-Oh now, but oh, we'll be not safe. But uh, you know, yeah. So they, okay. But um, it, I know it's interesting to think about which card games relate to which ones, and as far as I can tell, I mean I don't I can't remember the last time we had a lawsuit of two major trading card games or two trading card game companies having similar rules. Yeah, and claiming you ripped us off. Yeah, it certainly feels a little more like early 2000s for, to me for some reason. Like, I feel like these days that sort of lawsuit doesn't happen as much in the trading card world. Man, uh, I, guess I will I say know, this. the um, If Upper Deck was truly planning on launching a card game called Russia Vicor, and Ravensburger and Disney got to market first with their game, Lorcana, does any card game, does any like brand, brand new card game have any chance against, of getting a major market share against Disney Lorcana if it's just if it's considered literally diet Lorcana right. because the rules are the same, and that okay so in that way I I will say I I see more of why they would want to go forward with this lawsuit because you might as well hit it before the game comes out because if it's mm-hmm. after the game comes out and then your game comes out everyone's just gonna say you copied Lorcana and you're just a pale imitation it's diet Lorcana and, like, and even if you get ahead of Lorcana like they drop a month and if you before, release a couple I mean, months before that doesn't change anything come on, it's, it's Disney so yeah I guess courts were probably their only like if they want Russia of Ecor to have any time in the light like they they'll kind of they'll need to prohibit the launch of Lorcana well we'll see where it goes I'd like to hear more as it develops um, and I'm, I'll be sure to keep my eyes open at this point I guess I, I'm I will amend my previous statements I do not have even a preference in this fight. I'm just, <laughs> I am looking at the sidelines with my popcorn. But speaking of Upper Deck, I've got a story. Oh. Upper Deck collaborates with Microsoft's 343 Industries to create Halo trading cards and prints. This took me by surprise. I leave. Yeah, this is not something I'm going to be clear right out the gate. I don't know shit about Halo. I will never buy one of these cards. But it was an interesting story. But is it a trading card game or just like collectible cards? Trading cards and prints. So I'm assuming it's not a game 
but we'll see. Um, Upper Deck, the worldwide leader in sports entertainment collectibles. I don't know whose metrics continues to set the industry standard for quality, authenticity, and innovation in sports and entertainment collectibles and memorabilia. Today, Upper Deck announced its license agreement with Microsoft's 343 Industries, Halo, appointing Upper Deck as a producer of trading cards, trading card games, and prints. So I guess there will be games. Okay. And prints featuring the legendary video game franchise. Upper Deck will soon be launching these new products that will feature the complete catalog of games and the vast Halo universe. There's a quote where he says, Our goal at Upper Deck is to create products and experiences that stand out from the rest. Funny wording there. Give co- giving collectors that sense of thrill and enjoyment when they look at them, even years later. Halo is one of the highest grossing media franchises of all time. We're very excited to give fans the Upper Deck treatment on this AAA title and continue to enhance our offerings to fans and collectors. Um, let me see if there's anything else. The first to release under this agreement. Well, oh, you know what? Thoughts so far. Too late. Moving on. So, like, you're not, you're just not. Completely checked out. Completely Halo's checked time out. has passed. Well, so what do you think of, the, of it even being a card game? Like, giving yeah. it like giving it the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, do you think there's any potential here at all? No. No? Sadly, I'm with you, although, like I said before, I do not know a lot about Halo. So... I don't know, like, if the the universe and the lore has a lot of like what you would what would translate well to a card game. Are there creatures? There are. It's just come on, man. That time has passed. I know Halo's got like weapons. There's lots of weapons, so maybe there's like Quip a cards. A come on, stuff. man. But like that time is like it's gone. Yeah, like I don't know. They can't make a good Halo video game now. You want to make a trading card game? Something kind of interesting about it is that um, is this. I feel like I'm forgetting something like really obvious here. I guess Pokemon counts as a video game being translated to a card game. But I was gonna yeah. say I think this is like the first in a while that I've heard of like video game to card game thing. Like usually it's anime to card game. As long game. as you don't count like that Star Wars thing we talked about the other week. Well, Star Wars still I guess would It's also would be but like it's a multimedia movie, franchise. Multimedia it's got everything. Because I just think, okay, one piece card game, Dragon Ball card game, you know, my hero card game, Digimon even. Which was Digimon of anime first? I thought it was. What, what no, was Digimon it was a, first? It was a uh, a V pet first. V pet. Okay, so that that it's interesting because like there, I have not seen a video game get the like video game to card game treatment. Sadly, as much as I want to give it the benefit of the doubt, I'm with you. I, I just don't think that there's any like, merit to this. If we're gonna make a card game out of a video game, and I say it first, uh, you know, I think Fortnite could get a card game probably more successful it's a it's a complete like i it's an ip just like chaotic mess to try and figure out yeah license crossovers but but, you know like you know if we're gonna make video game car games pick something like big you know what game did it gwent from the witcher oh yeah Yeah, that was actually pretty popular people like gwent i think that might have gotten shut down I may have read that headline like last year that the the Gwent because there's like a server. I don't think Gwent's gone because or it's not maybe I, as I part of the uh, Cyberpunk Phantom uh, Liberty like DLC thing. I saw that there's like a Gwent shirt you can get. So Gwent, I don't think so it's maybe gone. It's still, okay, well, anyways, here's a little bit more. The first to release under this agreement is a trading card set that will feature a base set of card base set cards and limited edition chase cards that highlight various aspects of the expansive Halo universe, both inside and outside of the games. Which does remind me, Halo got like a TV show, so maybe there's we don't talk lore about that. within that TV show that some sets will include rare insert cards with autographs from people from various aspects of the Halo franchise. Okay, I see. I get so this is this this is just like basketball or baseball cards. 
That's what this is. They're yeah. trading cards, but they're, they're, they're sports cards. Yeah, it sounds like there's not a game here. No game. They like vaguely imply that it could be a game, but I think this is just supposed to be collectibles. Now, now that you mention it that way, though, it does change my, it lightens my perspective on it because now I can respect it as just like, this is cool for Halo fans. If you liked Halo, you can get your collectible Halo cards. I won't, I, I won't hate on that. I think it's just more like, I thought they were like trying to translate this yeah. into a game. I, I was did gonna not like, want to see another no, trading card game. I really didn't. Halo, again, don't know a lot about it, but I just know like in recent years, it's felt like it's really, <sighs> you don't hear a lot of good. No, no. What's your no. experience with Halo? Have you like did you play the games as a kid? Yeah, or? Um we we would have like huge Halo matches in high school and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we'd land and install it on every computer we possibly could. Yep. So I have I have fond memories of playing Halo with all like my friends and even my enemies in high school, but my enemies. <laughs> but come on, man, like Yeah, I know um the most recent Halo game was it is it Infinite or was that Halo 4? Infinite, I think. Well, it definitely was past 4. I don't know. I remember 4 came out and that people didn't like that too much. But I think All was, I know is I downloaded the last Halo and then did not play it. The Halo Infinite thing, it came out and there was like... I think it only launched with like... Like the multiplayer mode was like a separate thing. And it didn't have Forge mode, which I know is like a Halo staple where you like make your own maps. And it didn't have the co-op mode, which... Uh, that's like a big kind of Halo staple. Dang. So uh, it feels like, and then there's the Halo TV show. Didn't hear a lot about that. I feel like it kind of just like came and went. I heard, of, I'm, I remember reading reviews about it and they were not kind, not kind one bit. Okay. So, so not, okay. Uh, the Halo franchise hasn't had a hit in a while. All right. Well, good luck, Upper Deck. Hopefully, good luck with your lawsuit on your Halo game. I do have another T, I do have some more TCG news though. All right. Let's hear yeah, it. So, um, Bushy Road announces the second Shadowverse Evolved TCG booster set. That's oh, yeah. So Shadowverse is actually coming out pretty soon. Yeah, Shadowverse Evolved. Then they're announcing the second set. Um, okay. So what have you heard about the first set? Nothing. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. So I... All right. You want to know when it's releasing, Paul? Do you want to, you want to take a June, wild guess? like 30th, right? Twenty June 26th or like 30th or something like that. Yeah. So the first set releases June 30th. Okay. It... Is How did what, I know that? Today's June 14th for us, and we've heard nothing. Yeah, how much have you heard? Nothing. Uh, okay, well, uh, I guess a bit of, it's not even really inside baseball. I mean, I had reached out to them, actually, on, like, social media and email, and I was like, hey, yeah, I know you guys are, like, dropping the Shadowverse game. You know, I kind of want to check it out. Like, we'd be happy to, you know, do some videos over on the second channel or whatever for it. I haven't got heard, heard back from them. So right. Shadowverse people, Psy Games, isn't that who the, who makes it? Psy uh, Games. Games, yeah. If but you guys, Bushy Road is doing the Bushy uh, Road Psy game. Games. Reach out, hit me up. Your boy wants to rip open some product I, and play. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand how you can release a card game in less than a month now, and the promotion for it has been almost non-existent. Yeah. Um. It's sad because that's why I don't even know if I have anything to say about it. It's just there's not there's nothing to say. But I thought it was crazy that I was reading this headline about the about Bushy Road announcing the second set, but the first set has no hype. Do you think it's just one of these things where like, hmm? I mean, I feel like it's maybe one of those things where just if you if you know you know, right? Like it, it maybe it's just like if you know about Shadowverse, then this is like huge and it just they can make sense and if you don't know 
then like, that you just don't is that get to find enough? out. No, like, it's not. Because, yeah, that's what I think. It's like, I don't even know. Like, in this extremely competitive TCG market, I don't understand how we've got to the point with this Shadowverse release where Bushiroad's announcing their second set, but the promotion for the first one is so quiet. Yeah, there's I no mean, media cycle that I can tell. I mean, they po- I see, so I follow them on social media and I see them posting about stuff like here and there. I so. guess if Twitter is promotion, it's supposed to be at Anime Expo. They're going to need it. That's an event that we're supposed to be going to. Desperately um, going if any to of you guys it. are going to be at Anime Expo, come say yeah, hi. Yeah, we'll be in the house. We'll be in the um, building. Alec and I will be there. So, yeah, they're supposed to have like booths and stuff. So maybe, maybe it's just one of these things where the publicity is there and we just haven't seen it, which seems unlikely because I, mean, I feel like it's. It's hard to miss my radar with like, like TCG news. But. Like with many uh, Bushiro TCGs, Shadowverse is supposed to appeal to this kind of the more anime crowd, and it did have an anime series. I forget how long it ran if it had multiple seasons, but I remember watching the first episode. It did have an anime, but even with but even within the anime zeitgeist, at least the part that I am privy of, I haven't seen anything about. The Shadowverse evolved TCG. In fact, if you search Shadowverse on Google, you have to specifically add in evolve TCG, or yeah, you will otherwise not you end find up with, anything. I like don't. Yeah, I've done that. And I end up like just, I think finding out about the app game or something. App the game, anime the anime, like but not, you won't find out about the TCG. Which, I mean, that's a really bad sign. And I know, like, if Bushiroad signed on to do this card game, they kind of. They, I don't know how many sets had to be planned out initially. Right. But see, honestly, I'd. Re- I, I would love, if I were in their shoes, to have this one, this first set, and say, we're going to wait and see if this set does anything before we commit to a second one. Yeah. I mean, they probably had to commit. you got to commit some amount up yeah, they, front. Yeah, they probably had to, but, oh, boy, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to. Well, good luck to Shadowverse. I mean, hopefully it does well. Again, reach out. I, I will at least open a little of it, take a look at it. On, I on didn't the video. hate the, an, the part of the anime that I, I saw, and I have played the uh, app game before. It was years ago, yeah, but I did I'll, play. I'll try it out if I can find a little booth where they're doing demos or whatever at Expo. I'll, I'll give it a crack. And you know that's a lot coming from me. That is a lot, yo. He's not lying. Because I don't try out card games actually all that much. Bro, so. We twist his arm and try another one, but you'll see that on, on the channel later. Yeah, so... um. Well, I've got uh, an interesting one about the Pokemon TCG. What you got? Have you heard about the Pokemon um, 151 set that's coming out? 151 what? That's I think that's just what it's called or what the code name is. But anyways, um, Pokemon card 151. It's a new set coming out in Japan, I think, just here in a few weeks in like early July. Um, and it's actually the first of... You guys can tell I don't play Pokemon. I'm, I'm going to sound like so ignorant saying this. Uh... The Pokemon, like, Paldea sets, like the Scarlet Violet series of sets. It's That's the a first, new one. Yeah, it's the first spinoff of those. And so, surprise, surprise, it features the first 151 Kanto Pokemon in, like... And Mew? That's right. <laughs> Mew was 151. Yeah, and in, like, like lots of kind of just different renders and artwork. And there's some different rarities, and it's a whole great thing. It's actually supposed to be kind of significant because um, Kadabra and Alakazam are in it. Because... I know, like most people oh, know this. Oh yeah, the, the whole like the the rights to the like Alakazam the name. They finally like settled it with the guy who was perfect. There's no way him. that guy's still alive. He's alive. He actually issued wow. an apology. This happened like late last year, early this year, something like that. An apology? Yeah, he apologized profusely to the Pokemon community. He said that like it was because of all the people, 
all the Pokemon fans who wrote to him and contacted him, aka probably fucking blackmailed or death threatened. Anyway, <laughs> you know how people get. Yeah. And also his granddaughter, actually, who granddaughter or great granddaughter, who I think just convinced him that he should like let go of the thing and because he'd been I mean effectively holding like part of the Pokemon card game hostage. They have not they hadn't been able to print Kadabra in like 20 years or whatever as a Pokemon card. I guess because he he wanted to get paid for the name. Well no he just would not allow them to do it. Mm. I think that maybe he wanted to get paid but it was an amount that was so like excessive that they just could not because I think it might have been like it's, it's a huge chunk of sales or something. But anyway, so about this Pokemon 151 thing, it's um it's a big deal. It's supposed to be another one of these like you know how like Kanto Gen One. It's going to be some chase cards, right? Some Charizard, some Pikachu, some you know the, you know the deal. Well, Japan is preparing for the highly anticipated release of what is expected to be this year's most popular Pokemon TCG TCG set. To combat scalpers and ensure that players have a fair chance of obtaining the cards, oh. the Pokemon Company has announced that Pokemon Card 151 will be produced on a made-to-order basis. Okay. This strategy aims to limit the ability of scalpers to purchase large quantities of the set and resell them at inflated prices, ultimately enabling more players to get their hands on the cards. The Pokemon Company is taking mm. proactive measures to address the issue and ensure a better experience. So, uh... Here's how the system works. I'm very. You curious. have thoughts so far. Let's hear them. I don't have thoughts yet. I need you to. You don't want to hear first. I, I need to hear some things. All right. Prospective buyers will have the opportunity to purchase packs of Pokemon 151 directly from the Pokemon Center in Japan through a reservation system on its website. This message. This method means that even if you miss out on the initial release rush, you'll still have a chance to acquire this highly coveted product in the upcoming months. Orders for Pokemon 151 can be submitted from June 15th to June 21st. Customers who successfully reserve a box box of these cards will have their shipments scheduled for the months following September. The allocation of orders will be determined through a lottery system. In the event that Pokemon 151 sells out completely, there will be another reservation period held at a later date, ensuring additional opportunities for interested buyers. Mm. Okay. So... This reminds me a lot of that that kind of older Pokemon story that might have been from my first podcast episode. I forget about the, about shop the shops was... limiting uh, like sales to adults. Like this is one of those things. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is one of those things that I feel that will only work in Japan in their market. Yeah, okay. I think the sheer volume of product that the West will desire. You can't do that in a made in like a made to order situation. I mean, you can. It'll just it. It's oh man. I don't know. So part of me, I, I think that in Japan these are going to be just as highly sought after and all of that. But I think that maybe because the population is so much smaller, it'd oh, probably yeah. be more easy. Yeah, you could probably fill those orders more. I think in the West, it just it, it'll probably get a little messier. And I imagine the like the sheer amount of product that they would get from America alone. Now, fundamentally, as far as like you know, limiting the stuff goes, I like the sound of this. I don't know exactly how the implementation is going to play out because you know people always try to game systems. Yeah, I worry and it's more trouble than it's lotteries worth. and stuff. Yeah, that, that's another thing is like kind of the more trouble than it's worth thing. So. Uh, but the concept is nice because if it at least ensures that m- people have a fair shake at getting the cards, 
I'm in favor of that. If it hinders people's ability to get the cards in a timely manner, then maybe not. Well, what what it means to, there's a downside, is that like, this is not a product that will ever exist on a shelf, it sounds like. It sounds like you can only really order it and get in this lottery and like, that's got to be your thing. It feels like there is no, it won't be a conventionally sold pack, which means it'll be limited run, which means in and of itself, it's still going to just, I'm always, I guess there's always like mixed opinions on like highly exclusive packs and mm-hmm. like, so. Anyways, the Pokemon company has also gone to the extent of canceling orders for buyers who are suspected of being involved in scalping. Don't know what that means exactly. The company is also committed to monitoring the resale market to ensure that no scalping takes place. Also, don't entirely understand what like how they do either of these things. Maybe it's a Japanese thing. Maybe it's an easier thing to do there than it is here. Because I don't know how you do it in the West. Like canceling orders of buyers who are suspected of being involved in scalping. So how much info do you give them? I don't know. I don't, I, like, how do you prove it? I do not know. Because, like, I mean, I guess I'm assuming you have to give them like, your name and your address and, like, probably some payment info. So I guess maybe if you're associated with scalping or, like, a certain, like, like eBay type account, you know. I don't know how deep the investigations would go. I'm not sure. And then they also said the company is committed to monitoring the resale market to ensure no scalping takes place. I don't know how you ensure it. Like, what are they going to do? If someone tries to resell it, you're going to Are they going to buy it? Well, then again, but remember, this is a different country with different rules. Maybe there is something they can do. I don't know. Hmm. Like, no, this said releases for them on June 16th, so it's going to release in America. Maybe they'll send the Pinkertons. <laughs> do they exist in Japan? No, but they're equivalent. <laughs> Whatever the equivalent is. Um, well, it's supposed to be releasing in. I'm, I'm assuming it's going to release in the West in like September. That's what most people have said that I found online. So I wonder if they're going to try to do the same thing here, yes. and how that will work. I, I, I don't I think don't it will. Think but so I, I don't think they'll try it. And if they did try it, I'd. Yeah, I'm going to grab a, bo- a bag of popcorn and just, just watch the chaos. Watch, unfold. yeah, just watch the chaos. Well. Uh, maybe somebody who's more informed about Pokemon again can let us know. Is this? How, do you think the system will work? Yeah, let us know how it all I'm goes. Cu- I'm just so curious. I'm I'm somehow apprehensive at this idea that they can like regulate all of this. It just mm-hmm. seems hard to believe. But I would like a a pack of Pokemon 151. Good luck. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if 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 a common man like me can get his hands on a pack of it. All right. That's that that's Pokemon. So, I have a non-card game related story. Okay. So, this this one, uh, you know, it's a little relevant to us because we are, uh, like, online personalities. Okay. Twitch streamer's car gets torched by obsessed viewer who drove 700 miles. Yeah, I heard, I saw, like, the, the gif of this or something, like, Dick Serto or somebody on Twitter was talking about it. So, uh, Just Foxy, a, uh, a popular streamer, um, she plays a lot of like Counter Strike and Fortnite. Um, her car got set on fire. By we're calling this a fan. Yeah, let me let's just, let's get into it. Sounds more like a hater if you ask me. So, <clears throat> this is a a quote from Foxy. I was asleep. It was around two in the morning, and my mom called me and woke me up. She was crying, and I knew something really bad had happened. She said, someone caught your car on fire. I'm so sorry I have to go. The police are here. She was in the house while all this was happening. Obviously, I didn't know what to do. I was very far from home. The only thing I could really do was go look at the cameras on my phone, and that's what I did. 
Just Foxy then pulled up the video of her white sedan burning as sirens blare in the background. Goodness. A few seconds later, we see the resulting damage, which showed her car absolutely cooked and melted, completely inoperable. Oh, God. Though she did have cameras, and you can actually see the guy who did it, almost crystal clear. And uh, let me see. I think they have the uh, information about the guy. Oh, no, they don't have it here. I saw it earlier. Regardless, um, an angry fan. Okay. That's the the gist. They so angry fan. I wonder what that means. Like, to be clear, I think it's this is all terrible, and there's no good reason to do any you know, of this. But it reminds me of like Eminem stand, where sometimes your fans can become the most unhinged. They can be worse than your enemies. Yeah, there's certainly. Are we really gonna go down this conversation hole? I mean, uh, this is. <laughs> Just internet fandom is such a weird thing. Like, and I, I really truly feel for like, I think women in this space more than anything. It feels like these, don't, not say these stories don't happen to men. Cause like there's plenty of crazy people who like break into homes and do all of this stuff. Like call SWAT teams. And like, that's the thing that happens. Like it's all kind of, but I feel like with whenever it's like, you know, you know, the Twitch e-girl kind of scene thing, it seems like you get a lot more of these stories where like, a crazy fan who's usually a little bit like they have their weird parasocial relationship and they kind of see her as like, like I want, I want her for myself or like, I want to see her. I want her to acknowledge me in some way. You know, there's already like, you know, kind of what people used to call like a simp culture and donating a bunch of money. But I think that it can go deeper than that where people just, they want like, like a piece of like, your just tangible being like, in their life in some way, even if it's not seeing you, it's just like they saw your house or they engaged with like your property or just they met you, I guess, you know. Like, and the danger of that parasocial relationship, you know, oftentimes a streamer, YouTuber, whatever, they can't really make you a promise that affects your life. The most they can usually do is promise to keep making content. Oftentimes we all fall flat on that one. But what's dangerous about those parasocial relationships that people form, you can create a promise from yeah. that person you can believe they're making their content for you you can th- you can believe that that content is how is your personal relationship and then that makes and that makes that content creator's decision making that makes it matter more to you that can make you feel betrayed if they switch content or don't do something or they do do something yep and that can push you to doing real things with real consequences. Yeah. I mean, this reminds me a lot of that one Amaranth story. I don't know. If, like, oh, some yeah. of you guys might be like in front of her. Someone like came into her house and like blew up a trash can or set like her it's garage on fire or something crazy fire. like that. And I was just like, man, I feel so bad for her. Because it's just, you know, there's obviously like a privacy that's being breached. But also it's just that parasocial thing means like. These are never people, like, you'll never know who it is that, like, does it. I mean, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, there's, like, you, you can find out later and stuff. But, like, it could happen any time, and it's just, it's so unhinged. It's really and, unhinged. And there's also a side of it, because now these are, we're working on the impression that this is a crazed fan. But also, you know, influences, they have enemies. There's the people haters, who hate them. Yeah. And sometimes, because there's a distance between you and, like, the, your chosen creator that you follow, 
you you can be so angry at them, but you can't transmit your anger through the screen outside of like maybe some nasty comments or down votes. So maybe you want to remind them that oh I can get to you. Yeah, I can get to you. Uh, it's like it's like you know like someone's doxing you somewhere. I'll find you. Yeah, people get doxed. You know? I know like. I mentioned before, like sometimes streamers get like this, they'll call the SWAT team into people's house yeah. for fun. And like, it's kind of crazy because like the SWAT teams have to take those threats seriously because if they don't, then that, you know, that's jeopardizing what they do. And they like, they'll SWAT the streamer's house and they find nothing, but it's just, it just ends up being like a whole fiasco. So, and it's like, I don't, I can't even imagine the, sh- the stress. It must be a nightmare waking up to that sort of thing. Someone found you and then. Did committed a dangerous act with the intention of hurting or even or even just scaring you. It still shows they like like they wanted you to know they got to you. Yeah, they 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 superseded your. They broke the the like, veil. Yeah, they they broke they past the, the internet and yeah. got into your real life in some way or form, and they showed you they could make an impact. That type of like that that that's traumatizing. It's that's frightening. I mean, heart goes out to her. I, I mean, at least it sounds like she's safe, so that's good to know. But hopefully, they find out who this was, and like, there's some, some punishment. Like, rarely does someone get caught on camera lighting things on fire and not get caught. But you never know. True. We ready so, for? Oh, okay. I do have one more. I have always have to have an AI star, an AI story. Oh, all right. So frighten me, why don't? <clears throat> Paul McCartney. That's Sir Paul McCartney. Announces final Beatles record with artificial intelligence restoring John Lennon's vocals. Hmm. So the first time I read this headline, my typical uh, sense of AI dread kicked in. Yeah. Because I started thinking all these things about, oh, we're just resurrecting these artists to like make music and make money off them. And, you know, once like these record labels and people get, get you know, they own your music, they own your catalog, they own you. And even in, in death, you can't escape them. But this story is actually not as bad as I thought. I'll okay. show you why. Let's hear it. So, <clears throat> in an interview with BBC Radio's for Best of Today, um, Paul McCartney revealed the he employed the technology, AI, to create what he calls the final Beatles record. Hmm. We just finished it up and it'll be released this year, said Paul McCartney, 80 years old. The song will include vocals from the late John Lennon, who was shot and killed in December 1980. So, you know, he's long gone. AI was able to extricate Lennon's voice from an old demo. So an old demo that would have been useless because of, you know, bad song quality. And you can't really mix it if it's, you know, if it's old and bad. But he says, it was a demo that John had that we worked on. We were able to take John's voice and get it pure through this AI. Then we could mix the record as you would normally do. So it gives you some sort of leeway. So I guess this is sort of like a more positive AI story. Right. Because this was this was a song that they had worked on. Like John Lennon and the rest of the Beatles, they'd worked on this song. And now it just couldn't come out, and then he died, and there was no way to finish it. So now they can actually finish it. Okay, that's cool. I guess it gets my seal of approval or whatever, but here's the scary part. <laughs> um, you know, there's like, how do you feel about kind of the, there's been an increased use of, well, first there's the AI artists. We haven't really had, I guess, a formal story about it, but do you remember like AI Kanye, AI Drake? Those were like yeah. memes almost. Just Kanye sings, hey there, Delilah. Like that was like a big one that popped off. 
And like sometimes they're kind of fun, but then there's been like that whole like uh, tension where like you know the the music industry doesn't really like that. Like that you can kind of replicate these artists' yeah, voices and make these funny little things not and the make money off they it. Own. So yeah, like that's a kind of a scary part. But I, I like to hear at least that this is like a a positive use of it, and that they like the band, right? Like the, the group, you know, they approve it. They made the decision to use this. It feels like it's more in good faith and more ethical. I think uh, this is a good example of using AI as a tool where, you know, man, human beings are using AI and we're not being used by it itself. Yeah. You know, we're just using it to extricate vocals from a track to so that we can actually use it. We're not... We're not feeding it a bunch of John Lennon samples and letting and it making him like just sing and decide rap and what would John Lennon sing here. Like, no, let's yeah. not let's not let AI b- pretend to be us, please. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of like a just, just similar off story. So you know this new Flash movie that just came out. Yeah, people hate it. Apparently, not going to get into that, but they they hate it. it. They say that the effects are terrible. People don't like Ezra Miller. All these things. Well, apparently, there's like a scene in it. Sorry, spoilers. Um, for this Flash movie, you're gonna see it. Or like, let's pause the video. The Superman, like Superman, and some and someone else show up on screen. You might know who these characters are. Well, the actor who plays Superman, I guess, is or played is is like dead or isn't in the movie, and they use AI to like put them in, and people hate it. The effect is terrible, and people feel like it's like, I don't know who this is. I'm not sure. I didn't know Superman was in the movie. Okay, maybe I'm just all right. Well. Like, Anyways, it's um, someone will know. Uh, Supergirl and Batman, I know, are in the movie. I haven't seen okay. it. I don't know that for a fact. Well, anyway, yeah. So like, I know like sometimes there's like more contention around you know like kind of bringing people back from the dead and dark, you know, like having them appear in films. But it's nice to hear that this is at least positive. So, does that bring us to the pot? I think it in fact does. Cool. Well, uh, you want to draw first or me? So I forget. We're drawing two cards. Great. Draw two cards. From the pot of greed. Hopefully there's not too many similar cards. Yeah, these are with you guys' viewer suggestions. We're going to read them and answer them and take your prompts and see what you got to say. Draw one and draw. Oh, you're drawing your two at the same time. Okay. Yes. All right, I'll draw mine after you, but... uh. All right, what'd you okay. get? So this one, what is a generic card you hate the most being played against you? Hmm. So I have an I have an easy answer for that. Okay. Yo, I hate evenly matched. Oh my god, do I hate that card? You don't like evenly matched? I hate it so I much. I think that's a lot of people's answer uh, right now. I hate it since inception and it never my hate for it has never died down. I remember hating Evenly Matched when it first came out because I was just like, there's no way Konami did this shit. Like, they really designed this. And then I remember it kind of, like, kind of died off for a bit. Like, there was actually a period of, like, a maybe a year or two where it just didn't really see a lot of play. Man, it died off for you. I played low, like, low-level Yu-Gi-Oh! That card was live. Yeah. Uh, and then it's, like, resurged, and now people don't like it again. I mean, I have mixed thoughts on the card because, like, there's always going to be that duality of, like, Modern Yu-Gi-Oh is crazy. Boards are huge. You got to have powerful answers. 
But with me and Evenly Matched, it's always been like, it's such a casual killer. Like, mm-hmm. it is such a casual buzzkill card. Like, you're playing, you know, you go kind of for fun, just your fun deck. It It's not super consistent. It can kind of make a little bit of a board. You have to set some cards, whatever. And then Evenly comes down and just ruins it. Every time, man. I would argue that Nibiru's replaced Evenly in terms of being like the just casual rogue deck nightmare. But I think they both kind of can just share the card. The throne like, at this point. Nibiru, like, Nibiru's bad too. Don't get me wrong. It's bad too. But I hate I, I hate evenly matched more. It actually it's like just those board clearers in general. There's like they're they're very they're so polarizing. Even at times I hate Dark Hall. Leave my monsters alone. I'm trying to think of the one that I don't like. Uh Evenly's up there. I think that the generic, this is like a just sort of generic. Yeah, a generic card. kind of staple. Uh, it could be a hand trap. It could be something in something in the sideboard. Well, Man, right now, like either Baron de Floor or like Axis Code Talker. I just really freaking hate those cards. You you hate monsters. Oh, so does it need to be like Spell or Trap? I don't know. Because I, mean, I, I think if it's monsters, it's definitely those two for like reasons everybody kind of knows. Spell or Trap, uh, Triple Tactics Talent, actually. I, it's not like More a... More so than Thrust? Well, I only... I really mostly play Master Duel, so Thrust oh, isn't yeah. there. But Triple Tactics Talent's always, like, kind of a little rude. I just... It's... I don't think it's, like, a fundamentally super busted bad card. It punishes your opponent, so it's, like, it's fair. But I just hate when, like, you kind of... I feel like I've, like, stopped a play or kind of finally got a turn under control. Like, against a deck like TR Elements or something, where mm-hmm. they have, like, a million plays, and you finally feel like, okay, like, I think I've done everything and then they like use freaking triple tactics talent and they do a little bonk effect on master duel have you, have you seen it <laughs> no i haven't a, seen it it's like a bonk of the little thing he's holding and then it gets to draw two cards and like keep playing and it, it just like god i don't know like i don't think it's a bad card but i really don't like when it's used against me i mean that's fair it's your opinion that's, that's what you got here do i ask my second one or uh, uh, i'll do mine okay i guess i'll draw my two okay cool i got got two cards ah the pot was about to fall. Break the pot. Do you think there are too many archetypes in Yu-Gi-Oh? This person asks. Okay. What do you think? Uh, hmm. I don't think there are too many. Because I think that there's like a nice... One of the strengths of Yu-Gi-Oh is that you can always find something that like resonates with you an mm-hmm. archetype that either fits your play style or fits your aesthetic but i do i guess sometimes worry that there are some that just maybe get forgotten about so like i don't know if there's too many i just think like maybe that does mean there's too many what do you think i don't think there's too many um but i also don't think there's too few but i think given the way that Yu-Gi-Oh is now New archetypes is how we introduce new themes, new strategies, and we kind of freshen up the game. Um, I think in the past, I felt we could just keep reusing the same archetypes we had in the game, but keep giving everything new support. That's definitely a direction you can go, but I think the game would stagnate like very fast if that started to happen. And so I guess I can't say there's too many because I want there to be more. Two more thoughts I guess I'll add on to that. So the first is that I've noticed um, a lot of players, I think, just sort of um, a lot of players, 
I think just like really uh, I see a lot of people will will say things like, okay, I want new support for this. I want new support for like people like people get attached to these archetypes and they want them to get more support. Cosmo. And yeah, and everybody's got like kind of those two or three decks they want. Like, come on, more support for this. Konami, like, you know, the volcanic meme for years, right? Like new volcanic yeah. support. And shout out to Pain96. And so it's just kind of like, it's weird because in a way it's like people want more archetypes where they want their favorite old ones to always get more support. It's just like everybody wants everything from this game at all times. It feels like not everybody can be served completely. We want new cards. We want old support. We want new cards. We want old support. We just got to print everything. Konami got to print it all. I don't know what you want. You got to print it all. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if I have an answer for that. I guess I'm just with you. I think there's just the right amount. Like, it's okay. fine. My second point on that, too, was just going to be that, like, uh, I sometimes think that maybe they could slightly slow down the rate of new archetypes. I'm not entirely convinced of that. It's just, like, sometimes, you know, these deck builder sets will come out and, like, archetypes will come out. And stuff just, the game moves so fast that things can kind of just feel like they get forgotten really quickly or they just don't get their time in the spotlight. They're not, they're not completely forgotten. We saw new Ogdotic, Ogdotic cards today. So... Crazy. Uh, All right, what do I have here? My second card. So, what was your worst experience at locals or regional? And I guess that you can even include like a larger term if you had a worst experience. All right, what's yours? So, I I do have I have two. Um, oh, you have two. Yeah, my first time at locals like ever. Um, Paul took me to a card shop because I never I never really been to one before, and I sit down. Cause a guy asked me to play some Yu-Gi-Oh, and I was like, "Okay, cool." I had my uh, my Performer Pal deck. It was trash. It was horrible. Uh, I didn't have sorcerers or anything. That deck was that deck was not good. And my opponent decided to play this uh, stally trap heavy mess of a deck. That's o- it's the only purpose of the deck was to make sure your opponent you couldn't suffer. do things or have any fun. Ugh, and like it was just it was it was horrible to play against. It just kept stalling and stalling and stalling and it was nothing I could do. I did end up winning, but that left such a foul taste in my mouth. For like what it can be to play against. Like, yeah. I think that experience really shaped it really shaped my whole mentality with locals. Because, uh, I mean, since then, I've seen that story play out many times for me and other people. Second story. Okay. Um, I was at a larger tournament, and I was going on a bit of a run with my uh, with my Cosmo deck. I was, I was having a good time. Oh, this is the 200 twice, yes, right? Mm-hmm. Ohio? Okay. So, um, I'm on the bubble. I'm dangerously close to making day two. And um, I, I, get, I, I get to an opponent who I guess... Unlike me, who was on the rise in my tournament experience, I'm I'm hyped. His day had taken a, a, a bit of a detour, so he was actually falling in the bracket. My opponent didn't want to have anything to do with me. He rolled his eyes constantly. He was exasperated at the very thought of playing against me. And when he saw what deck I played, he acted like I had no business there when... I mean, we're both at the same table. Um, that means we both made mistakes. My mistake might have been picking this deck, but you picked a strong deck and still ended up here. So what's that say about you? Yeah. But up until that up until that point in the day, I had been having a good time 
but through the games I won or lost, my opponents were like at least amicable. I had opponents that were very friendly. I had opponents who weren't like very friendly. But this was my first opponent who was actually just a jackass. Yeah, you always meet a few of those. I think that there's always this kind of this type of Yu-Gi-Oh player where they're not like a top level player. They're not mm. like truly pro yet, or whatever you want to call that. Pro. They, but they they've got a bit of experience, and they happen to be using a, an expensive deck or something, and. You know, they feel that maybe through having those things, they're kind of entitled to these wins. And so to be placed, and like I get it, you know, maybe if your day has kind of gone bad, you just made some misplays your last round, like you're maybe not in the best mood. I totally get that. That happens to people. But there's kind of, I think that the moment that you kind of look across the table and you think like, oh, I don't like this person doesn't deserve to be across the table for me playing because they're playing this Cosmo deck. And like, that's, that's bad. And like, why are they here? Why, why God, why am I having to deal with this awful situation? That's, that's like, that's always the line for it, me. It's just like, you, you're never entitled to like a win. And you know what I mean? I just, yeah. I mean, you think a good player would be happy to see the Santa Cross from Cosmo. It's like, Oh, it's a free win. I mean, maybe like, he thought but he that couldn't, too. Oh, but he wasn't acting like he was getting a free win. He was he just, he, he was acting a nasty the entire be, time. He couldn't be having a worse time. And of course, I did end up losing in true Cosmo fashion, which hadn't actually happened much that day. Bricked up both rounds. Like in one round, I literally couldn't play a card. We were bricked up that bad. <laughs> yeah, well. and, like, and so like, that was it. Was so frustrating against. I finally found a person that. I wanted to have a good showing against more so than anyone else I'd played that day. And that had to be the game. And of course, I, I did literally nothing. Well, I think my, I have two as well. Um, the first was a reason that we went to, you know, the one where uh, I won't like name the card shop, but. Oh, it, I know what you mean. <laughs> they, uh, the AC wasn't working. Yeah. So, uh, so it's not like really a, a bad Yu Gi Oh experience or anything. It's no, just that like was the, a bad experience. The card shop was sweltering it was so bad it i mean we're talking it got to the point where they were handing out plates like just paper plates for people to like fan themselves with because that was the best that there was and then also uh there was like like i guess some just dirt and stuff that was on the floor had literally started to like i guess would the word be like Perspire, I don't, or there whatever. was condensation. Condensation. Everywhere. It got like on it, the desk, on the floor. So the floor got like sort of wet, which is the sweat and the heat, and so like it turned into like mud almost on the floor. That was also caused by the toilet in the bathroom overflowing. Overflowing, and, and people the back would go of the, to the bathroom and track some of it in, and, and it just oh my god, like it was just a nightmare. People were sweltering. Yo, um, when you put if your cards touched the table, you would get like. A yeah, a little bit of slime one of the- <laughs> and dirt on them and sweat. Yeah, one of my cards fell on the floor before one of my rounds. Oh, that was horrific. And like I picked it up and it was just like, just, and I was using white card sleeves, of course. And so it's like, it was just like just mucky and gross and brown. It was, it was the worst. So that was one event. And then another event that was actually, uh, I feel like kind of happened close to it was YCS Dallas 2019, where my deck was stolen. Oh, yeah. I, my Grin Maju deck was stolen. This was a very tragic, terrible thing. Uh, it sucked because uh, of a few reasons. So leading up to that event, I had actually been attending a few different like regionals and OTS things and like doing pretty well. I, I was on a tear. I was on a bit of a tear. I was on a little competitive streak. Called myself doing okay at this game for a change, right? And um, so I was like, okay, this is like the final leg of my journey. I'm going to go to this YCS and like see what I can do. 
I've gone to like two or three regionals. I've gone to an OTS. Like, I've been th- topping those. Can I like take this next step? I really liked the Grinmaju deck. I really felt good about its matchups. I felt like I was prepared for this. And like after like round four or whatever, my deck gets stolen. I think I was undefeated, or maybe like X one. I don't know. Round four, round five, I something think you like were that. X one. And um, then my deck got stolen after a round, and I was just put out and horrified. Now the happy ending is that I did eventually get the deck back. Um, someone returned it or whatever, and that was great. Good, good, you know, good for me. I don't think that happens often at these sorts of events. I was probably lucky because mm-hmm. I'm like a content creator or whatever. So I'm glad that they returned it, but. I didn't actually get it back until like a week or so after the event. Yeah. So at the time I left the event, like with the deck stolen, I remember just had to drop from the event. I had to go like walk like, to a subway or something down the street just to like decompress and get out of that venue. Cause I was just like, I can't be in here. I couldn't believe when you told me your deck was stolen. Cause I was just chilling. Paul was in the event. I was just relaxing. Mm-hmm. And then Paul was just like, my deck got stolen. And I thought it was a joke. Yeah, it was awful. And so it just really took the wind out of my sails for the game, like, for a good bit. Like, I was just, like, I was on the streak. And then after that, I was like, I'm, I'm not, like, playing Yu-Gi-Oh! for a bit. Like, I just took a bit of a break because I was just so, the wind was out of my sails. So, that sucked. Don't steal people's cards. But, hey, invite's still good. My invite is still good. All right, last card. Um... What's your favorite card? Um, would you make it into an archetype? Like, how would you do that? So I guess like a, kind of an old one-off card. Yeah, like your favorite old card. So I think I've got mine. You yeah. first. Yeah, okay, me first. Um, so my favorite card as a kid really was Ancient Gear Golem. But before then, it, of course, there's a whole archetype for that. But before that, I want to say Trihorn Dragon. Oh, yeah. That'd be so cool. I think Trihorn Dragon is a pr- is a pretty cool card. It's just um, it's bad. It's, it's objectively bad. It's not a good card. It has no effect, and it's uh, weaker than other two tribute monsters. Blue Eyes. Um, yeah. That's actually the only one. It's like weaker than. Yeah, I guess that is it. <laughs> so, it's twenty eight fifty. It's not. A, it's not a small monster. But anyway, so I would give it treatment similar to maybe like Starry Night with uh, Hyozanru not Hyozanru Hyozan, Say, yeah. Seiru Seiru and uh, Hyozanru used with the uh, the Bastion Masawa's um, yeah. Carbonet on yeah. that that chemistry strategy I'd give it something along those lines and a very simple archetype where all they do is cheat out this monster for like a special summon and just load it and up it, with like effects or and something. give it effects. Yep. Yeah. It's a very simple Yu-Gi-Oh formula, but they've done it multiple times before. And I want to, I don't, I'd like to see it again. Yeah. I, I don't know what how the they theme did, like, would be. Soldier. Maybe they'd be like cultists summoning this dark dragon to defeat their enemy. Trial dragon does seem like the type of dragon that would be summoned with like a ritual of some yeah, like kind. Like a demon dragon. It reminds me of like Zara the Net. Yeah. Okay. So my card is, uh, I always thought it would be cool if they did something with La Jin, the mystical genie of the lamp. He does actually have the mystic lamp card. Yeah. Which is like, I don't even remember what that thing's effect is. But I always thought it would be kind of cool. And I feel like maybe they've announced something with this. And I just might be I forgetting. I but I always thought it would be kind of neat to kind of give him like, I guess, different lamps or like different just something. Maybe there's a whole genie archetype. Yeah, there's a whole genie archetype. I mean, because I remember when they, um, like, what was it? They, 
I guess like when Kaiba uses it in the anime, it kind of he vaguely implies that it has like some powers. You know, a lot of the cards. Yeah, like, like in the like older that. A- a- anime but episodes. like it's like he can like kind of retreat into his lamp and like these things. So I don't know. That kind of feels like one of those old ones that they just haven't done a lot with. Funny enough, I mean, La Jin has gotten an alternate art. Yeah. I know that doesn't like mean a lot, but it has. It's one of those old cards that's gotten an alt art. So like maybe there's something there. Yeah. It's like a level four spellcaster type or Jin. Then we have Jins and Yu-Gi-Oh, the uh, ritual Jins. We don't want to do that. Yeah. So there could be something there. I don't. I think like I guess you just give it different lamps and. This, maybe Probably gotta be more genies. than that, but that's well, as far as I've gotten with it, like conceptually, I suppose. I mean, I'd be interested. I, 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 I'm genuinely curious what kind, what an archetype like that would do. I forget what Mystic Lamp even did. Yeah, I know. Maybe, it, it remind, it's one of those really awkward old flip effect things. Maybe you tie it around the Mystic Lamp effect. It's a flip deck or something where when they're face down, they're in the lamp, and you flip it up, you release them from the lamp. You know, it could be kind of fun. It's like if it had an, a card where like your opponent picks one of three effects. Like they get three, oh, wishes, three wishes, and like, of course, all the effects are like bad for them or whatever. But like, you know, or maybe it's a monkey's paw. So you do it. It's similar to the um, to the generator strategy of kind of rewarding your opponent at the same time, which is bad. It's objectively bad to reward your opponent. But maybe it's a monkey's paw type wish where they're good things with like horrible, horrible drawbacks. Like your opponent can draw a card. They also can't special summon for the rest of the turn. Something like that. Yeah, they could make it that could be a fun way to do it. Like I think that having the, the wishes that they get be like kind of good but bad in disguise could be fun. So like specials you can special summon a monster, but they must like banish like their other monsters or something. Yeah. Well, that's all cards in the yeah. pot of greed, at least for today. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the podcast. This is a pretty good one. Lots of cool trading card news. Yeah, trading today. card news, weird news. You know, Our there news. was a lot to cover. A little bit of AI in there. Uh, so yeah. yeah, let us know you guys' thoughts on all the different things that we talked about. We'd love to hear it in the comments. Shout out to the guys who respond to our community posts with ideas for the pot itself. Yeah, we will be taking them, of course, next week as well. Be sure to subscribe to APS Amplifier if you're watching on YouTube mm-hmm. or just follow the podcast in all the different places you can. We'll see you guys in the next one. Pass turn. turn.